Hey everybody, it's Matt. I want to tell you about a special event coming up on June 12th, 2024. It's Future Proof Your Workflows with TechSmith and AI. During the event, you're going to get exclusive previews of new features and get a chance to learn from industry pros and TechSmith experts. For all the details, make sure you visit us at bit.ly slash tsc-june24. Remember, that's all lowercase, and we are so excited to have you join us and look forward to seeing you. Hey everybody, I want to take a second to tell you about Snagit 2022. I don't have time to go into all the details about Snagit 2022, but it has a variety of options for fast and easy to use video creation. It's got new ways to work across devices and platforms with the new cloud library. And your purchase or upgrade includes your first year of maintenance and the newly updated Snagit certification course. With 20 plus videos of Snagit how-tos, certification is a great way to help you speed up your workflows, unlock potential, and get your work done faster. So check out Snagit 2022 today at snagit.com. And now back to the podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whether you're watching this live, the, the recording, or listening to the podcast, we're so grateful you're here. Today is a great day because we're kicking off a 10-week series where we're going to be talking about instructional video. We're going to have 10 different guests talking about the various different parts and processes that go along with creating instructional video to help you really dig into not only understanding how to do it a little bit better, but hopefully to inspire you and understand things like how you can measure it. And today is really no different. We're going to be we're going to be looking high level at instructional video. And, and the reason you might want to look at instructional video is because it's so powerful and there's so much you can do with it inside your organization and out, whether you're trying to make uh, training videos that are going to help your organization to be better and more successful, or you want to go out onto something like YouTube and help people. It's, it is a really powerful medium and there's a lot that you can learn to make sure that your videos are hitting home and really being effective. So with that said, let's jump into today's guest because he is fantastic and has a lot to say about video and has a great experience. So let's, let's introduce our guest today. Jonathan Halls is a skeptic of fads and buzzwords, often wondering if we've lost the art of critical reflection. But then he gets excited because he keeps bumping into humble trainers who are doing amazing things by applying evidence-based learning practices. Having worked in most facets of learning as a trainer, man training manager, learning executive, and contractor, he's also earned his bread and butter in non-training jobs. They include being a talk show host, journalist, and communications manager. He has been a bachelor. He has a, both a bachelor's and master's in adult learning, and in his spare time, likes cooking, drinking wine, playing the piano, and making furniture. Hopefully, all not at the same time. And that's true. Yes, he really actually makes furniture. Jonathan is the author of Rapid Video Development for Trainers, Memory and Cognition in Learning, Rapid Media Development for Trainers, and Video Script Writing. He has written numerous articles and professional magazines, including TD Magazine. Learning Solutions Magazine, and the HR Observer. And Jonathan is one of the many people I'm privileged to call a friend and has always love having the opportunity to catch up with him over a good meal. And usually, it's usually as he's about to jet home or off to the next gig. Well, with that said, it's my pleasure to welcome Jonathan Halls to the Visual Lounge. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Matt. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing really well. And just for everybody that's watching, should let them know that this is pre-recorded and this is take two because, you know, we spill all of our secrets here. Just <laughs> guess I made a fatal video. We're going to talk about video. I made the fatal video mistake. I forgot to hit record. It's a bummer. But Jonathan, so with that said, let's introduce you a little bit more. Is there anything that I didn't say in the bio that you think would be valuable for our audience to, to know about you? Well, I think um, maybe people are probably wondering about my accent, and it's probably helpful. You know, I grew up in Texas, and then I moved to the Philippines, and then later spent time in the uh, Soviet Union. That's where I get my accent. Well, no, okay. <laughs> That's not quite so hard to pull. I tried pulling it off, but nobody believes me. I was born in Australia. I moved to England, um, and or Britain, I should say, where I worked at the BBC for many years and a bunch of newspapers across Europe. Um, and so that's where I get my funny accent. But I'm still trying to work this one out. And you've heard me fail over many years, Matt. I want to get the American accent. How do I do it? I keep trying. Can't do it. So that's kind of stuff you didn't mention, which would probably kind of you not to. Yeah, well, you just need to spend more time in the deeper south so y'all can you can get it right, you know. 
but you know, I come from the deep south. Australia is further south than even Alabama. That's true. Well, I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> we love our we love our guests that and people that are in Alabama. We just they're fun to pick on as as are, we all are. So, Jonathan, they do good uh, chicken. Are, they do Fried chicken. great. Some great food. Well, Jonathan, <laughs> one of the things I want to talk to you about to start off, uh, you know, you've got this long experience where you've been working in, you've been working in the video industry, you've been creating videos, you've, uh, and you've got that learning mixture, which is, I find, is kind of a unique mixture. You spent some time, as you said, at the BBC, which feels like it just has this, you know, I don't know, there, maybe it's me as someone who's watched uh, some British television, and you think, whoa, the BBC, you know, it's got kind of this high standing in my mind. Um, and you, you did, led a lot of training there. And I'm, I'm curious from your perspective of working on video, has, has much changed from that time when you were making videos with the BBC to, to today? Yeah, I think a lot has changed and then a lot has not changed. So when I think about it, um, when I was there, I'm, I'm just visualizing, we had a studio in London and we actually had a studio all over the place actually we had about three or four studios in the training department that uh, i was uh, having the privilege to steward for a number of years but um the lights hanging off the ceiling just to light the studio probably worth about fifteen thousand bucks each the cameras that we used uh, for training people were worth about twenty thousand pounds it's about thirty five thousand dollars and that didn't even include the lens and when you think back everything back then was all about doing high quality and i know that if you're working with discovery tv today or hgtv or some of those networks they're still using those kinds of cameras but these days news journalists are getting by with things like this and this mobile phone does everything well a lot of what those fancy cameras do so i think the big change is technology it's easier to use it's cheaper to use uh, but what hasn't changed is that video is still a show don't tell modality uh, people remember what they see they remember what they forget you know if you watch a weather forecast two weeks ago i bet you can remember what you saw but trying to re-remember -rem or put together what the weather forecaster said word by word would be virtually impossible and so uh, video is a modality for help people helping people learn to do things understand how things work none of that's changed but the way we can do it has. And I think about, you know, you guys at uh, TechSmith, right? I mean, you revolutionized things. Um, I, I remember <laughs> colleagues doing stuff where they're videoing with a camera, somebody doing something on a computer screen. And back in those days, you had to worry about 50 hertz or 60 hertz and all that kind of stuff. So the, the flickering from the interlacing didn't show up on TV. Now you guys have got this software you embed into a computer, you press start, bam, it's all done. So the technology today is easy. Um, but the principles all remain the same uh, for communicating, keeping attention and structuring content so it's quick and easy to understand. I think that's probably the crux of it. Yeah, I, well, I love what you said that the, the show what you know. And I, I think that's so vital for video because it's so easy to forget that you know, people just start wanting to record, but it's like, you got to actually show something. It's, you know, I think we get caught in this kind of notion of like, oh, we're going to just record. Well, it's not just record. You're going to, you want to record specific things. And I, and I love the comparison, right? Like, cause it would be so easy to go out and spend thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, at the end of the day, you could do that, but are you going to get the results that you need. So let's, let's go high level here, Jonathan, because I'm, I'm, I think as our, I'm thinking about our audience and you know, you've got this great experience. So let's kind of look at high level video creation process that, that you use, because I know you've taught a lot of different people around the world, uh, how to do this. And I, I think a lot of us can get caught up that it's very complex, just like the equipment you mentioned is tens of thousands of dollars. I think we try to apply if we could, these formulas that are $10,000 formulas that are really complex, really hard. So where would you have, like, what would you instruct someone or tell someone if they were saying, Jonathan, I want to understand the process for making a video. Where do I start? So when it um, comes to instructional, so we'll, we'll look at instructional rather than say news or entertainment or something like that. With instructional video, the first, um, the first few steps are really basic instructional design. And they relate very closely to general media operations. By the way, there's not a whole lot of difference between education and media. Education is communicate. Sorry, media generally communicates. The news communicates. Um, documentaries communicate, but they're not really designed for you to learn. 
instructional design is all about how do you actually remember that to go and put it in place. So the core basics are very, 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 very parallel. So um, the first step is being really clear about what you want the, uh, the learner or the viewer to be able to do at the end of that um, video. So if I'm going to watch a video on how to change a car tire, or for me, maybe it's making a piece of furniture, I want to learn how to do a uh, a mitre cut or something like that. I want to be really clear that I'm not going to watch a video that goes off on all sorts of other fun things. So, um, and we're talking about instructional video that we give to people to learn how to do it. We're not talking about, you know, something like we're doing now, which is a, a general chat. So for instructional video, explainer video, start with a, a an objective. And I always suggest following Mager's principles of objectives. You can see probably by my bookcase, where have I got it? Somewhere in here. Uh, there we go. Look at this I've got. Mega, the Mega, famous Mega six pack, and how to prepare learning objectives. Write them following the way we're taught in instructional design. That's really key. The second thing is to go for a persona. Who are we doing it for? The more we visualize who the typical viewer is going to be, the easier it's going to be to think of words, stories, analogies, and things like that as we plan it. So the first step, what is it? What, what are you going to be able to do afterwards, and who is the audience? The second step, is where we break down that learning objective into chunks. Notice that's just instructional design stuff here. But some people struggle with a breaking it into chunks bit. So I simply say, answer these three questions and you can have as many answers as you like. What does a learner need to be able to do after the, uh, the, the video to be able to perform that task? So if it's changing a car tire, park the car, uh, put the jack in, find where the wheel is, loosen the lug nut. Um, what do they need to do? What do they need to know? So it might be safety procedures. It might be issues to do with where to place the jack on a car so you don't kind of bend the frame. Um, and also any other insights that you might have that can help people do it quickly and easily and do it well. So once you've broken it down, you have an opportunity to really know the content. And at this point, we go into some more media type things. And this is where I look at, number one, um, is this content appropriate for video and that's where we look at the content we've broken it down so we can see what is it that i need to show people if the content is like tax law or hr policy i can't really show anybody anything so the chances are it's better off as written text that might be published on a web page um, maybe it's a story uh, maybe it's better as a podcast but if i'm not actually showing people at this point i say let's not waste our money and go and do it in um, in my workshops i generally say to people that if you're doing a one minute video allow three to four hours worth of um, production if we're doing a thorough video okay so if you kind of follow that path and you're doing a two minute video that's a whole day and if it's not a showing topic no one's going to watch it so are we wasting our time? <laughs> so that's the question. So once we've done the objective and the persona, we then break it down and then we say, is this a visual topic? And if it's visual, if it's something we're going to show, we say, yep, we're going to do video. And then I start asking the question, how are they going to watch it? If we're creating the video for, let's say, classroom viewing, we've got to think about how it will be viewed in the classroom, probably on a clapped old, clapped out old data projector and with a light bulb that's about to go. So maybe we start thinking of production elements where we use high contrast because we know it's going to look washed out. If it's on a cell phone, it's a different experience because cell phones, you can't have a lot of information with those small screens. So we might say no captions and no wide shots. It's all. So once we know what device the average person is going to be using it, uh, to watch the video, we can then kind of start shaping the production. And they're the first four things that become really, really important. Once that's done, I then think to myself, how do we put together a structure? And this is this is something I, I, you and I have talked about this for years, uh, about how do you structure content. And if we're, if we're actually doing a quick how-to video, it's a couple of minutes, um, it, it can work just to hit roll, roll the record and just show people. But when it comes to complex topics, it's really important to structure the content in a way that is educational, following instructional design principles. So what I would tend to do is always start with a um, with an overview where we review, this is what you're going to get, and then a step-by-step -step kind of overview of each 
path per uh, let's start that again we start with the overview which is kind of like the learning objective we then explain each step and then we go into detail about each step and then we summarize it and that it's not a whole lot different to making tv and and i'd be happy to share um a job aid i've got on that with you to share with with folks um joining us uh because i think the way we structure it becomes critical yeah, no, that's great. I, if I can interrupt you, Jonathan, for just a second, I have, I have a question for you. Because I often hear, you uh -oh. know, obviously we talk about objectives and people are like, well, do we say the objectives? Do we not say the objectives? But I, I'm curious from your perspective, because this is a very uh, a structure I think a lot of people would say, look, you know, just get on with it. Just teach us, right? Wait, but you're, you're putting these things in here that it's going to kind of like remind them and then remind them again. From your perspective and what you've learned, why is that so important? Well, a couple of things. First of all, with the objective, the objective isn't just for the learner or the viewer. It's also for us. So we know what to chop out. I was doing an audit at a training department. They said, can you come and tell us what you think about our videos? And so there's this great video, and it was a uh, changing the tire on the side of the road. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the video, it cut to this beautiful sunset. <laughs> i got to tell you, one of the nicest pieces of photography I've ever seen or videography I've seen. So why is that in the video, I asked the person. Oh, well, well, we're there. Do you like it? I said, yeah, I do. But why is it in the video? Well, you know, we're there and the sun just set and we had a great. But does it help me achieve the learning objective? And one of the things that you learn in professional TV and if you go and work in a newsroom is if you have any element in your video that does not actually do what you're promising to do, chop it out. And the professionals are pretty ruthless about that. So I look at the learning objective being really important for us. I think it's important for the learner so they know that um, they're not going to get halfway through the video and find out it's not relevant. But for video, I don't think you need to read it out loud like a learning objective. It doesn't have to be change a car tire on the side of the road using the Audi safety manual. It doesn't have to be anything like that. I think casual is great. We're going to look at how to change a car tire. If you drive an Audi, I'm making my sound posh. I don't drive an Audi. <laughs> but you know, that's kind of what, what, what it's all about. At the end of the day, it's not that we get the right wording. It's that we make it as easy as possible for people to understand it. And when we repeat key aspects and we create an overview, the research shows that the brain, when, when the brain works, it, when we take in new information, we connect new information through our eyes and our ears, through our nose and our taste, right? I mean, when I taste something, uh, whether it's a jalapeno pepper or maybe it's a, a tomato, um, my brain digs around in the long-term memory for a memory or a schema that says what this is and then it interprets it. So if we can give an overview, it gives the learner a heads up to go and find a schema that's as close as possible to allowing them to interpret what goes on. I know that's not an easy thing to explain over a video interview, but so uh, the repetition, all that kind of structure piece, I actually think really lines up with brain, uh, brain science and repeating it over and over um, is also a key part. You know, um, Ebbinghaus back in 1885, he found that you've got to keep repeating stuff. Um, okay, it was spaced repeat repetition, but we know the more it comes in and out of the long-term memory, uh, the easier that becomes to, to, to remember. Well, it makes, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like if the goal is you're actually trying to get someone to training is not just, we want them to know something. We want them to change behavior. We want them to be able to do something that, that repetition is going to allow that to stick hopefully. So that way they can, because let's face it, if you, whether you're in a classroom, you're watching a video, that's not, that's not doing the job. Right. And we want them to be able to leave that environment or leave that situation and then go and do that thing. So, for instance, we, we teach Camtasia a lot, right? Because that's what product we make. Uh, if you watch my tutorial video, awesome. But if you get into Camtasia and you can't remember what I just taught you, what good is it, you know, other than a reference that, but you know, the idea is that you take a training, you go off and then you can uh, apply the training. So I, lo I love this idea. The other thing I just wanted to comment on, you mentioned this, um, the relevancy of, of, you know, the learning objectives helps you understand that. And I, I think that's so important. We have research that TechSmith has performed on, on videos that says that uh, one of the main reason people stop watching videos, particularly on, on YouTube and things like that from an instructional or informational video standpoint is that if it's not relevant, they stop watching, which it seems like, duh, right? Mm. Of course, of course you wouldn't watch something not relevant. But I think what you've stated is really, really great because it makes that tie in to say like, you want, just put it out there. We want them to know because we don't want them to waste their time. That would feel like, why? Why are you doing that? I think it's also interesting in the sense that 
a lot of us go into media with uh, an industrial mindset, like the old media mindset. And that is if you're a TV producer, you've got to keep people glued to the TV at all times because you've got a schedule to fill. If you're doing a newscast, you've got a whole half hour. And if you can't find something, you're going to make it up. Oops, I didn't say that. But um, when it comes to online video, we don't need to fill space. We've got this luxury of being able to stop when we've got the message across. TV people don't. But because we've got, you know, since the 1950s, that whole ideal of having to fill a time has structured the way we think about video, it's easy to come to this modality and say, oh, I've got to fill up this time and do 60 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, five minutes. Actually, we don't have to. And I think I think when you, when you look at the learning objective, you then make a decision on duration, not based on how much time I've got to fill, but how short I can keep it in order to get them to be able to do the task that I'm, I'm teaching them or showing them to do. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. So Jonathan, tell us a little bit. So we've talked a little bit about structure. Was there anything else that you wanted to bring up? Because we've talked about, you know, it should be, uh, you got this kind of overview, you got this repetition. Is there anything else about structure that you would suggest people at least be aware of as they go into their video creation? Yeah, I think that, um, that the key point is to be, cutting out as much crap as you can. That's pretty much the key. Um, one, who was it? One of the major video editing um, guys from Hollywood, I think he struggled for many years trying to work out how to define editing because he'd heard somebody said that editing is about cutting out what you don't need. And he said, oh, I've got to find a better way of putting this because it's about art. It's about how we flow and yada, yada, yada. And after a lot of years, he came down to the fact that actually, no, editing is about chopping out what you don't need in order to get your message across. So I think being ruthless is really, really important. Um, and that that applies to um, things people say, what you show on the video, transitions you use, all that kind of stuff. So I think keep asking that question, how, how can I make it easier for somebody to go away and repeat, uh, go and actually do what I've shown on the video? Yeah, I, I love that because it, and it's so hard sometimes as a video creator because you have you end up having parts that you love and you, it's that sunset that you mentioned, right? Like I want to keep the sunset because it's it's so artful, it's so beautiful. But at the end of the day, if it's not, you know, you got to let go of those things, and that's I, I get it. Those things are hard to do sometimes as a creative. Um, but I, I love that that notion. I think we say here a lot of times that your video should be as short as possible and long as needed, right? Like just to Exactly. So, so John, and the only way you know that is by knowing the objective. <laughs> absolutely. You know, this is this is great. So, I want let's shift gears a little bit because I think we've got this kind of structure to, that we can focus on, and we, we we're thinking about one of the things that I know you talk a lot about is is setting up workflows because you know the reality is that you've 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 given us some good time advice, right? This this you know two hours or you know depending on your length of your video might be four hours or a day to create a, a video, um, but obviously that that's intimidating to people, that amount of time to spend. So let's talk about some workflows and how, like what, what are some workflows, when we talk about workflows and you talk about workflows, what does that mean? Because I know what I mean, but I'm curious uh, from your perspective, what's, what's a video workflow to you? Well, um, so high level video workflow is just a sequence of steps to follow when making video. But workflow in a sense, is deeper than that. I think workflow is about um, having an order in which to do things that becomes a habit so that all the routine tasks um, don't take up bandwidth. You don't have to think about them. They just happen automatically. And a workflow also works well, particularly in training teams where several people are working on the project or you're working on lots of different projects and you sometimes jump in and out to help people. So everybody knows where you're likely to be to, 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 to do what's going on. So for me, a workflow uh, is going to be all about how to make video fast and furious. Now, a good workflow will have the right sequence in terms of uh, what to do first, second, third, and fourth. And that sequence will do a couple of things. First of all, it'll mean that you don't need to keep going back and changing stuff. You know, we've all done tasks and I'm an amateur woodworker and I have lost track of how many times I've made a piece of furniture, a bookcase, and then I realize I have to go and pull it apart because I forgot something. <laughs> so I'm there pulling it apart, unscrewing it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so a workflow means that I know what to do so I don't have to go back and correct it. A workflow also means that um, 
as I go through, things get faster and faster. And if I do each step well, the next step would be easier. So, for example, if I'm um, uh, if I'm um, shooting video, filming video, there are four or five things I do as a general habit when I go and shoot video. Um, and I don't do it so often now because of my cell phone, when I use my cell phone, but with a, a regular camera, I always go in, I do white balance, I do exposure, I do focus, and I do audio. I don't even think about it. It's a workflow, boom, 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 boom. And when I do that correctly, I don't have to worry about when I get it into, into, into Camtasia to edit because it looks crisp and clear. But if I don't have that as a habit, all of a sudden, oh, I forgot to focus. You can't get focus corrected if it's not focused in the first place. So then you spend more time trying to cover up the fact that it's out of focus <laughs> and coming up with little effects to kind of dooly witsies to kind of drag people's eyes away from the fact it's out of focus. So a, a workflow is about preventing problems like that and preventing mistakes and getting everything happen. So when it comes to um, the workflows that, that I teach, there are a couple of key things that I look at, and they're not the only workflow. The workflow that I teach, it's written about in my books, is called the rapid media technique. The first thing is planning is absolutely priority. This is militarization, planning priority. Probably 40% of our time should be planning, 20% should be filming, and 40% should be editing. The more you plan, the fewer mistakes you have, and the quicker it will be to actually do the filming. The other thing is that I always start planning with the pictures before the words. We all grew up at school. We went to college um, and then we worked in the workplace where everything is communicated by words. Even if you're on Twitter using poor grammar, I'm sorry, I, don't, I know I sound like a Luddite, <laughs> but even still, um, if you're on Twitter, whatever, we're teaching our brains to think in words. But people watch videos through their eyes and they interpret what we see, not what they hear. So if we spend all our time writing scripts, we're actually focusing all our attention on the stuff that people aren't really focusing on. So, And whatever we start on first, everything else is brought in to kind of back it up. So I kind of twist that around and I would say, first, before you do anything, is plan the pictures you're going to use to show what you're going to do. And people kind of struggle with that. And one way of looking at it is to think of if you're constructing a sentence, right, you're putting words next to each other and they're going to form a sentence. What we do in video is we put shots next to each other which form a sequence. And as we start thinking about that, it's going to transform the video because it then becomes all about visuals. What was interesting, I um, I still remember when I first attended the BBC single camera um, uh, television directing class. Um, and I'm very proud to have that certificate because it was pretty cool stuff. But they would not let me in that class do anything beyond drawing a storyboard for the first two days. That's how important it is to documentary makers. They understand that the real currency we have in video is all about pictures. So the workflow I look at is 40% planning, 20% filming, 40% editing. But in that, everything we do starts with a picture. The words they add on top of the picture and they fill in the gaps for the message the picture can't do. The music adds what the, the picture can't do. Maybe it's emotion or mood or something else like that. But pictures are really, really critical. Yeah, I, I love that. We, we often here at TechSmith, we talk a lot about scripting and the importance of, of, of capturing the, the message. But I love that, that the flip, right? Because it makes sense that you want to, it's going to be the key thing. And the words should support that. And that's important too. Like we're not saying don't write a script, but I love the, the idea of like start with what you're going to show because video, as you said earlier, is it's a show what you know type of medium. And, um, and I think, that, I think that's, that's really insightful. So, so Jonathan, as you, as you work through this process, I'm, I'm thinking you said the word planning, you said the word editing. Let's kind of break this down for anyone that's watching this that's newer to video. And, and they're like, okay, well, I need to get my, my pictures together but what, what other things might you plan in there? And are there, are there other workflows? Like that's a very high level workflow. I love it. I think it's really important to understand where you're going to commit your time because I think enough people don't actually plan. They just go out and start shooting or start recording. Um, but inside of that, are there other workflows that you would consider or would advise people to, to think about yep. planning for or structuring? So um, before you get, so we, we've talked about four of the things, right? Like learning objectives and personas. We've talked about breaking content down. We've talked about 
uh, determining whether it's video or not, and then what device. Once all those decisions are made, I would then move into the point of actually planning the shot, uh, planning the actual um, the um, the actual video, and that's where I create the structure. So um, the structure we talked about there works and once you've got that structure you then look at the structure and say this is what i'm going to show first and this is what i'm going to show next and so forth so then you go and work out what pictures they are and that's where we draw a storyboard and a storyboard is usually stick insects because most people can't draw <laughs> and uh although some people draw amazing storyboards you can draw storyboards in apps that you can get on uh, on your ipad i said that for your benefit matt ipad you know just <laughs> right apple i know your, um, your affinity for apple <laughs> <laughs> i'll be getting a droid but you know and um, <laughs> and so the the app you draw your storyboard once the storyboard's done then write your script and writing a script doesn't get easier. You still have to do all the right things, short sentences, short words, um, words that are concrete and descriptive, uh, all that kind of stuff. Once that's done, um, I also like to work with, when I work with teams, come up with a responsibility map. In other words, four people are helping me do it. Who's responsible for each individual piece? I heard a story from uh, from a, a colleague at the BBC. They were working on a local news story in London and they got called in on the weekend because, I don't know, there was a riot or something like that. And um, they and a colleague were called to go and cover it. So they both arrive at the uh, the riot ready to shoot the uh, the video. I should say film the video because shooting and riots, two words don't go together. Anyway, whatever. And so they arrive up there and they look at each other and they say, you're going to get the camera, right? Because <laughs> no one had agreed who'd stop by the studio to pick up the gear. And we need to be really clear. Little things like that can cause big problems. So I like a responsibility map. Who's responsible for this and that? And responsibilities include who's responsible signing off on the learning objective? Who's responsible for signing off on the pictures? Who's responsible for doing the video filming? Who's I mean, all those little bits and pieces. What's the role of the subject matter expert? And what does a subject matter expert not do? For example, subject matter experts need to be told before they start, you have no business telling me how to make the video. Your job is to sign off on accuracy. I've lost count of how many subject matter experts will sit behind you in an editing suite and say, well, do you think we could just do a starburst transition there? No! What do you know about video? <laughs> so be clear on what people should do and what they should stay away from. Once that's done, you prepare for the shooting. So that's checking your camera equipment, everything charged up. Do you have enough memory on your phone if it's on the phone? Do you have cables for your microphones if you're using cable mics? Check the location. If you don't have permission to film, they can ask you to leave. Uh, security, government installations and all that. Uh, unless you need something and you know people are not going to let you, you want to get permission. And generally, you're a journalist if you're doing that, not a, an instructional designer. And believe me... Um, I've been told <clears throat> it's not 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 fun being chased by security people while you're trying to get footage. We we won't ask for that story today. So, Jonathan, I, uh, one thing I want to mention is you actually wrote uh, and put together helped put together a checklist that is available on the Learning Guilds website. We'll put a link in the show notes so people can get that. But I think, uh, I mean, you're covering so many great things. There's, I, I think the what I'm taking away from this is make sure you've kind of just arranged if we can use the colloquialism the ducks in a row right like you put all yeah. your things in order so that way you're not having during the shoot to go back and think about it because i've i've been there where we've missed something or we thought about something midstream it's like how do you it's harder to recover and it takes more time and i i feel like the, the advice we're getting is really solid for anyone creating instructional videos is just make sure you're you've got everything lined up so that way when you're in the the video shoot you're doing that work, whether it's screen recording or out on site or in your, your small little office, whatever it might be, you don't mm. have to stop and think about those things. Cause otherwise it, it, you're going to burn a lot more time and it's going to be a lot more costly and probably uh, you might not remember to get everything that you need. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, getting into a habit is the number one priority, I think. Well, Jonathan, I want to I want to tie some things together. We've talked about. You've talked a lot about these these workflows. You've talked about uh, some of the learning kind of science and the processes to think about. Um, I'm I'm curious if there's anything else from your experience uh, in kind of the learning science areas that you know maybe is not a workflow, maybe isn't what we've talked about that that really applies to creating instructional videos because I feel like one of the things that's hard for people to know, and I struggle with this too, is like is my video really going to be effective at helping someone to learn? 
And I'm, I'm curious if you have any other insights about how you know that or things that you've done that mm. you've seen that make it really effective. So this might sound a little bit alarmist, and I, I've certainly uh, evolved on my opinion on this over the years. Um, your, your video, my video, guarantees nothing. <laughs> That's the bottom line. The only person that guarantees whether learning happens is going to be the individual doing that learning. And so um, the, the process, there are so many different ways that we can look at learning. Um, and I tend to draw on cognitive science because I think that's really precise and very, very helpful to explain things. But the human brain or individuals, people, we make sense of the world through our memories. So if I, um, if I talk to you about my experience catching the bus going to school, there's a good chance in your mind you'll see me wearing a pair of jeans and a sweater because you're in the Midwest, so it's cold, right? Catching a yellow school bus. Most people will do it, although perhaps you won't because you'll know I didn't grow up in the Midwest. I grew up in the real South. <laughs> but what happens is we use our experiences to make sense of new things. So when somebody talks to me about making food, I use my experiences of making food. So what we're doing is we're really talking about a cognitive connection. And I think to myself, learning professionals often talk about the joy of being in a classroom, explaining something or helping people discover something and they see the light bulb go off in the, the learner's head. And if you think about a light bulb, a light bulb in real life goes off when you connect the electricity to it. And what's happening in learning is we're connecting our experiences to new information. And the new information comes in from outside. Our experiences are in our long-term memory, but it's in the working memory that we make that connection. And it's hard work. But the instant we connect it, we then are able to light up and start figuring stuff out. So the real key for video is to thinking to be thinking, what can I do to make that connection? And when we make that connection, it really comes down to understanding our learner, which is why doing a persona or an avatar of the learner before you start is really helpful because you can start thinking about words they use, experiences they have to kind of look for analogies and metaphors and things like that. So um, in terms of learning science, I look at video as being a tool learners can choose to use. Now, that doesn't mean that we're useless our role is to be making sure that we reduce the cognitive load by getting rid of all those distractions, all of those sunset um, shots, so that people are really focused on what's going on. So we're talking, I guess, about the extraneous load, as uh, cognitive load theory would put it. And at the same time, we need to break the content down in ways that makes it easy to understand. So now we're talking about intrinsic load. Um, but the bottom line is, what is it that we can connect to that the learners have? And this is why working with multiple audiences becomes really quite quite tricky. When we learn, there's three stages I like to think that we go through. The first stage is we need to understand. And that's that connection piece, connecting new information to a long-term memory that comes together. And then all of a sudden, when they connect, we kind of figure it all out and we can understand stuff. The second thing is, though, learning doesn't happen if we forget. So we need to be doing what we can to um, ensure retention. And retention happens in many different ways, but generally speaking, the intentional way of remembering is where we retrieve stuff from the long-term memory and bring it into the working memory, keep going backwards and forwards. There's no known um, limit to how much we can store in the long-term memory, which is pretty cool. So what we want to do, um, if we want to make our videos really effective, it's helpful to see the video's life be, uh, beyond or living beyond the video itself. So in an ideal world, and I know we don't do this, I, I'm, I'm pretty crap at doing this too, we would create video that's quick and easy to understand, but at the same time provide resources to help people practice it afterwards so that they go through it. Now, within the video itself, we can do um, what I call creative repetition, repeating key elements, but doing it differently each time. But that doesn't guarantee learning. The only thing that guarantees learning is that connection and them actually practicing it afterwards. So at the end of the day, um, video is incredibly, needs to be structured well to reduce cognitive load. But we need to somehow urge people to go and practice it because if they don't immediately practice it, they'll forget it. And I found this, you know, I'm sitting in an aircraft and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out Adobe Premiere and let's say I'm, I'm trying to, I don't know, 
put work out how to um, adjust the EQ in an, an audio track. And I know I've got to do it when I get home. So I'm at an airport and I go online and I look at a how-to video. Oh, oh, yeah, I see. That makes sense. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, done. When I get home, if I haven't actually thought about it since, I've probably forgotten. And unless I actually practice it almost immediately, I haven't got it done. So that's kind of what I think we can be doing with, with video. And that is thinking carefully about how do we make it so quick and easy to understand. And that's by reducing cognitive load, chopping anything out of it that we don't immediately need to, 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 to see or do to learn that task. And then repeating key elements and then somehow enthusing um, the, the, the learner to go and practice it almost immediately. And I have to say, there's a, there's a term called learning latency. And uh, I'm a bit embarrassed, actually. I had never heard of learning latency. But um, there's a guy down in um, um, the uh, University of Pittsburgh who's done a lot of research on this, who happened to be in one of the workshops I was doing on um, learning theory. And um, he's a professor, and he's done a lot of work on it. And he basically talks about the distance between repeating and actually performing a task is going to be a critical component as to whether or not that task actually um, sticks. And when I think about the questions you're asking, Matt, um, I, I think about the maturity of our field. And I go back back to, what, 20, 2010, when ATD first asked me to write that book on rapid video, which I didn't want to do. I wanted to write a book on podcasting. But they said, no, video's it, video's it. And, and uh, Justin finally, it took him three lunches to convince me. <laughs> to do it. What's interesting is we've really moved from an era where um, you can get away with doing stuff in a garage because, hey, look at this. It's kind of like, hey, mum, look, no hands on the handlebars driving my bike. It was, hey, look, I made video for my training department. It's crap. But, hey, I made it. And when we moved on to now we've got to make it more polished. And that became really important. And I think you guys at TechSmith have been really important in, in evangelizing how to do that and making it easier with uh, Camtasia. But now we're at the point where we're saying it's not good enough just to be polished. We need to really be integrating this in to how people learn. And this is probably the big frontier that we've got. And not there's not huge amounts of research done. You know, we've got dual coding theory and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think we're in a really exciting time in terms of how the uh, the video industry matures. Wow, I can talk, can't I? No, this is this is all great stuff. I'm t actually taking notes, and this is this is good. It's it's fantastic. I, there's so much here. Jonathan. Are you spelling it the English way or the American way? Uh, I'm I'm throwing some um, S's and U's in there, so you know, dropping. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Uh, so I want to I want to get to we've got about time for one more question then we, we'll get to our speed round questions which will be a little bit of fun. Um, I'm I'm curious because you, you like I said you've you've literally been all over the world teaching people how to do this stuff and you've obviously got great deep insights about the learning theory and how how this all can work together. But as you watch people out there that are doing this, that are trying to create good training, they're trying to use video, trying to bring these things together. What's the common mistake that you see people making? Uh, and because and the reason I ask this question is because I want to warn people like, hey, don't don't let's try to avoid this mistake and just get them maybe past that to to whatever the next mistake is. I know I make lots of mistakes, so it's not a it's not a big deal that you might do this. But what's something that you see that's pretty common that you would have warned people about? Like, hey, don't just let's not make that mistake anymore. I think there's a couple of things under the heading of we think it's easier than it really is. And we think it's quicker than it really is. Um, to be a good videographer takes time. And I don't say that just based on my experience. The research bears me out. If you look at research by Anders Ericsson and the folks in the field of expertise and the development of expertise, they say that you've got to do 15 to 25,000 hours of practice to be really good at anything. And sometimes we think we can pick up a video camera and be really good overnight. Or we can pick up Camtasia and create a really good video uh, overnight. And yes, we can come up with some good stuff. But to be really good, we have to commit time and energy to actually doing it. And um, we also feel, I see a lot of folks, so I was doing a workshop in New York. And um, we're teaching people basic shooting and editing skills for instructional videos using consumer cameras with manual functions. One guy rolls in and he's got his kind of big bag there <laughs> and he's, oh, well, I'm not going to use your cameras. 
oh, okay, for whatever you want. I don't care. This is your class, not mine. Do whatever you want to do. But I do recommend you do our cameras because you might find it's easier. No, 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 I've got this camera. He pulled out this $3,000 prosumer camera. I can't remember what it was. It was a a Z1 or something like that. Anyway, um, at the end of the course, he he came up with the worst possible video of everybody. It was almost embarrassing as we sat down and watched everybody's video because he thought that because it was a better camera with all bells and whistles that would get better video. But you can't use those bells and whistles until you've had hours and hours, hundreds of hours of practice. Whereas the simple cameras we did, the people came up with great stuff. So I would say one of the big mistakes is thinking we can do more than we really can and taking leaps rather than baby steps. The baby steps will give us a foundation. They are annoying, they hold us back, they're frustrating, but the more baby steps you've got, the easier it's going to be to get into those kind of leaps and bounds. And I bet you you've seen the same thing, right? I mean, I I still have so much to learn about video. I, I learned all my stuff at the BBC about video. I had some of the best trainers in the world teach me. Um, but even, even now, even despite having some of the best trainers teach me stuff, I'm still learning stuff every single day. And I think being prepared to understand that our first videos don't necessarily, um, well, let's not expect them to necessarily be good. They might be okay. And, and it's good. We've got to build it and build it and build it and reflect it. And we don't need to spend lots of money on equipment that's too complicated. We, um, we hosted a, a guest here my wife and I did um, from overseas who had a brand new um, Nikon camera and the camera had a lens about this big. It was, it was bigger than my suitcase and we were driving around Washington DC and this person, all I could hear this person was saying, and they were, by the way, self-proclaimed expert on cameras. Oh, stop. It's going too fast. What? My camera didn't do this. My camera didn't. And they've got so many settings that they're trying to play around with <laughs> because they don't know the camera. And yeah. had they just taken their cell phone, man, they would have got some great pictures. The, the, the lighting was terrific. So don't bite off more than you can chew. Just enjoy it in baby steps and let those steps get bigger and bigger and bigger. And before long, you'll find that you're automatically making good video. Well, I love that advice. And I, I think there's a couple keys here just to reiterate. You got to start and then just get c- continually wherever you're at. That's your line in the sand. Just keep getting better and better, and and but don't try to leap too far into the future because you know most people can't make that leap successfully. You'll, you'll end up making actually something that's not as good. So excellent advice. So Jonathan, before we jump to the speed round, if people want to learn more from you, they want to connect with you. What, what's the best way for them to do that? Where should they go? At the pub. No, just joking. We don't do <laughs> pubs at the moment. So. Um, my website is www.jonathanhalls.com. You can contact me through that or through LinkedIn. Um, and my website's got phone numbers and addresses and all that. I'm based in Washington, D.C., outside of Washington, D.C., actually out in Loudon Wine country, which is rather nice. And um, that's the nice thing about recording here, Matt. After this, I'm going out to the wineries. I know that, I know that doesn't surprise you, but uh, that I'd be doing that on a Friday afternoon. But, um, yeah, so that's a great way to contact me, website and uh, via LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from folks on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you for that. And, and Jonathan, we're going to go into what we call our speed round. Okay, Jonathan, remember the promise of the speed round. These are supposed to be a little bit fun. Some of them, you know, but quick answers. So, but I don't Jonathan, do fun. You, know, you don't do fun. Okay. Well, all serious. What is the most recent piece of furniture you've made? Oh, my gosh. It was a bookcase. A bookcase. Awesome. Well, you'll have to send me a picture. I'd love to see it. Okay. Next question. What's one idea you think journalists do well that individuals creating training should learn? Uh, making information as simple and simple as possible. <laughs> yeah. Got to keep that news simple, right? So I, for, for our, our audience, uh, they might not know that you play the piano and you've been learning. Uh, what's your favorite p- piece to play on the piano? At the moment, it is the Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven. Nice. Classic, of course. Uh, what's, thing, what's one <laughs> thing that you've learned as a talk show host that helps you today? How to make decisions fast. 
But not how to answer questions fast. That <laughs> That's not your job as a talk show host. You just have to make decisions, not, not answer questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, we know it's weird times. Uh, you can't, can't, people can't travel as much as they'd like, go wherever they want as easily. What's, but what, normally, what is your one favorite place to spend time on vacation? Uh, every year it's different. This, this year, Key West. Key West, very nice. What's, what's one source of inspiration for you? So where do you, where's, how do you fill that inspiration well? I'm going to say, I'm going to put my wife, because actually she's way smarter than I am, far more sensible. And when I watch how she does things, I can learn loads. Perfect. Great answer. Last question for you. What's one question you would like to ask me? Mm, well, there's about 15 here. Let me think about that. Well, I, I would say, where was the best place for you that you and I had a meal? Oh gosh, there's, ah, some, good, there's a few. <laughs> oh, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of where all the places we've had meals. I mean, well, here's the thing: we could go anywhere, Jonathan. You want to go to McDonald's? We'll go to McDonald's. But I know here's it, it will be a great conversation, and I'll have a good time. And so it doesn't really matter so much the food, although we've been at some lovely places, and it's been good food. What I don't, what I remember is not the food; it's chatting with you. So maybe it's a little cop like of an answer. Cool. That yeah. sounds like a politician's answer. What's <laughs> <laughs> true, though. I, I don't remember all the places we ate, but I remember going to dinner with you multiple times. I, I think there might have been one in Vegas that was really good, though, at the Bellagio. That, yes. That was, that was pretty tasty. So, Did you pay? I think you paid. <laughs> You owe me. Anyways, Jonathan, yeah. thank you so much for joining me today. This It's always a pleasure to talk with you. It's always great to, to hear and have you share your wisdom. I hope everyone listening today has really enjoyed this. Before we wrap up, though, just thank you again to Jonathan for all that he has said. And uh, I hope as you went through this, you take notes. And then you go and apply the things he talked about so you don't forget about them. Uh, before we do close, though, just a reminder that, you know, if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast platform or you're watching on YouTube, we do love if you would rate uh, give us some comments, subscribe, do whatever those things are, because it helps us know that this is being helpful. And if you've got suggestions for future shows, you got questions, comments, things you want us to know, you can always email us at thevisuallounge at techsmith.com. We love hearing from you. We love hearing what you think about the program that we're putting on for you. So with that said, we appreciate everybody tuning in today, and we will be back next week with another great guest. Talk to you then.